Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. Due to CDC recommendations, we are live streaming our services until further notice. You can join us online at 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday mornings on our YouTube channel by searching for A10 Sunday Morning, or you can watch this last week's message at area10church.com. For more information, you can visit area10church.com slash now to learn more about what is happening at Area 10 Church right now. We hope to see you back at the Bird Theater again soon. Good morning, Area 10. I wanted us to have a conversation starting today and for the next couple weeks about how things have been going for you these last couple months of the whole COVID thing. Um, I was sort of thinking back to how it unfolded, what all happened, and maybe you remember this as well as I do. I was kind of looking back at the details. On March 12th, is when it all went down, at least in this country. It's when it all went down. Uh, on March 12th, all the, all the sports stopped. The NBA, the NHL, everybody just quit on that day. And I was like, this is weird. And I remember calling a friend of mine who's a pastor at another church, and he said, yeah, we're not having church this coming Sunday because of this. And this was a Thursday. And I was like, that's crazy. What do you mean you're not having church because of some virus? That's crazy. Um, and then the next morning, March 13th, the Friday morning, our staff came together and we said, yeah, well, I don't know that we can do this this Sunday. And so we shifted to doing an online thing within about 48 hours, thanks to a lot of uh, a really smart tech, technical people who got it together. And then that's where we've been for the last couple of months. And we've all been sheltering at home and uh, stopping the spread and flattening the curve and all the things that they tell us that we need to do. And so we've been doing that stuff for months and uh, watching graphs and becoming epidemiologists and all the things we've been doing in our spare time. And uh, it's been very interesting. And then towards the end of May, the whole George Floyd situation happened and the country sort of erupted in uh, protests and riots and just a lot of stuff going on. And that became a whole uh, issue with the whole Black Lives Matter movement. A lot of things kind of flared up there. Um, then that quieted down a little bit. And then there's a lot of talk again about pandemic and, and it flaring up in the US and all of that happening. And so it's been a, a pretty wild ride for a, a good chunk of 2020 and we haven't even gotten to the you know the election season of, of the of the year the second half of the year when things could maybe be even weirder so it's been uh, it's been pretty wild and I want to talk about and I've been really looking forward to this series because I want to talk about some of the lessons that we've learned during this 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 phase um, I have been uh, thinking and and writing a lot. So we, 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 we called this series House Arrest, Life Lessons Under Lockdown. And I've been, and we called it that, we called it that title for two reasons, Life Lessons Under Lockdown. I've been thinking a lot over the last few weeks about what am I learning here? What is God teaching me? As I'm praying, what is the Lord showing me? As I'm talking to other people, what are they experiencing? What are they learning? And I started making this list of like lessons I'm learning during this time of my life. And uh, I wanted to bring some of that to you in, in these next several weeks for, the, for this message series. So we chose the title for that reason. But the other reason we're calling it house arrest, life lessons under lockdown, is because uh, this hasn't really been quarantine. I know a lot of people say, oh, we're, we're under quarantine. Uh, quarantine is what you do to sick people. You take sick people and you keep them by themselves so they don't infect other people. We're not doing that. We, we've had healthy people staying inside. So it's something other than quarantine. So uh, I, I was like, well, it's a government force. It's more, something more like house arrest where the government says you have to stay home. And so it's been a, a very weird thing to kind of wrap our heads around as we've been processing this. And so I want to talk about it. And to do so, 
I thought it'd be good for us to look at uh, another guy who was under house arrest in in the scriptures. The apostle Paul was put under house arrest uh, in in a couple different occasions. Uh, He was under house arrest and then actually in a Roman jail. And while he was under house arrest, he wrote um, four incredible letters that we have in the New Testament, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and the letter Philemon. And those are letters written from house arrest or from jail. And there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of, a lot of power that we can get from that. So I don't want to just give you like, hey, here's some thoughts I've been having while we've been under lockdown. I want to go back to the New Testament and look at someone who was under lockdown and what he was saying and what he wrote down for us. Uh, so today, to start this off, I want to talk about worldview, uh, how you see the world and, and why it matters. And it's occurred to me that something has really happened over the last, uh, last several months that our worldview has, has shown and has really, has really come out. When, when, you, um, when, when you are under pressure, when you feel the pressure, the stress comes down on you, what sort of leaks out of you, we call it anxiety or fear or stress or anything like that, when, when that stuff's on you, when it, what leaks out of you really says a lot about your worldview, about how you see the world and how you see what's going on. And I've realized in this, in this time that what you believe about life and about death um, what you believe about suffering, about meaning, about purpose, about anxiety, like all of this stuff, what we believe really, really matters um, because we're, we're faced with some serious and significant life and death questions during this, this time. And so what we believe about those things and what we believe about hope, that stuff really matters. And that's not obvious. Your worldview is not always obvious to, to yourself or to others because for a lot of us, what we spend our time doing really is working at our job and trying to pay the rent and trying to get by and get groceries. And, and maybe if we're lucky, we can scrape together some money to do something fun on the weekend or go on vacation or something like that. That's the way we're living life. And we're not necessarily thinking about our worldview and how we're seeing the big picture. But I think that stuff is very much, our worldviews are very much on display at, during this time. Uh, and, 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 and you see it when stress comes. So when the, when the pandemic hits, um, what do you see happen? Everybody grabs toilet paper. Um, people go to Costco and it gets crazy up in there. I, I've ne- not been to Costco during this, uh, but I heard it was pretty wild at times. Um, and you see this panic that sets in, and that panic is indicative of your worldview. That panic says, um, oh, I think something really terrible is about to happen. This is the way I see the world. It's going to spiral out of control. And so we grasp at things. Um, and there, really, there's different ways to think about it. If you believe that God is under control, God has things under control, that God is sovereign, that God has power, that God has a plan, then when something crazy happens, you can go, okay, this is still within the plan of God, or God can work in this and through this, and your freak out doesn't have to be a freak out. But if you believe there is no God, and you think there's uh, not necessarily that history is going anywhere in particular, and there's maybe no, no particular future coming to us, um, then maybe this is a time to freak out because it's not working out the way you, you would like it to, believe, to, to be. Um, our beliefs really matter. Now, John Ortberg, 
as a pastor, author that I really like, he talks about the different kinds of beliefs that people have. And, and I, when I read this and, and first heard about this, I was like, yeah, this is really true. And so let me just lay it out for you. You and I have different kinds of beliefs about the world. Number one, we have what are called public beliefs. Beliefs. These are things that I say I believe publicly. So um, the, the, these are the kind of statements you see politicians make this kind of stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, we're going to do such and such, when really they don't necessarily believe in that or, or, um, or they have no intention of actually doing that. You may call it a lie, but I would say a public belief is something you will state publicly because you kind of believe it, but it's, it's not really in the core of you. Um, you see this a lot with businesses right now. Businesses have been um, sort of falling all over themselves in order to step up and say, oh, during this time of crisis, our business is with you. We, we're taking COVID very seriously and we're doing these things. Uh, those are public beliefs. Those are the things they want to say out loud. Whether they believe them or not, they're going to say them so that you will believe them. Um, you, you see a lot of that. You see it in Scripture. When Jesus was born, King Herod came, the, the wise men came to King Herod, and King Herod was very threatened by the idea that Jesus was born because people were saying he was going to be king. So King Herod said to the wise men, go find out where this baby is so that I can worship him. That's something you say publicly that sounds good. King Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus, but he stated a public belief. Oh, yes, I, I, I want to worship this, this, this person. Uh, and so that's, that's the way he said it. So you have public beliefs. Uh, secondly, you have private beliefs. Now, private beliefs are the things that you think you believe. So these are things that feel a little more, you know, on that inside of me. Oh, yes, I really believe this. Like when push comes to shove, man, this is what I believe. This is my heart. This is true to me. I really care about these things. These things are really important to me. These are private beliefs. You don't always say them out loud, but sometimes you do. A great example in the scripture is the apostle Peter, the night Jesus was betrayed, uh, when, when, when Jesus was being, on, was being put on trial, some, uh, Peter had just said the night before, you know, Jesus, I'll go with you anywhere. I'll die for you. You're, you're my guy. I'm with you. And then the next day, Peter gets asked, do you even know Jesus? And he's like, no, I don't know Jesus at all. So he denies that he knows Jesus when just hours earlier he had, he had professed his love for Jesus. When, when Peter says to Jesus, hey, I'll follow you anywhere, I'll die with you, I'm your guy. Um, I think he really believed that. I think that was a kind of, it was a private belief. It was a, hey, I really believe this. It hasn't been tested, but I, I think I really believe this. this is, I'm, I'm all in. I, I think that's where Peter was. But when it got tested, his beliefs actually kind of folded. So those are private beliefs. And then there's one more layer of beliefs that we have. We will call these core beliefs. Core beliefs are the beliefs that you have um, at, at your very core, so much so are they a part of you that you actually act as if they are true. So an easy sort of obvious example is I have a belief in gravity. Uh, I, I, I think it's real. Um, I think it's measurable. Uh, and not only do I believe in gravity, I act as if it's true. So I don't jump out of tall buildings because I go like, well, gravity. And so not only is it something I believe and would profess, it actually changes the way I act. Um, it's, a, it's a core conviction. It guides my behavior. And, and, and all of us have these. We have the things we say we believe, we have the things we think we believe, and then we have the things that we actually believe and our actions follow those beliefs. And here's why all that matters. 
Because Jesus wants to transform our core convictions. He's concerned about the stuff at, at the heart of us. Not the stuff we're saying we believe. Anybody can fake that. He's concerned about what, what do you actually believe in your core, and he wants to change that. But I also think this is an important thing to discuss because during lockdown, um, what your core convictions are really matter. So I, I believe in God. I believe in a God who controls the universe. I believe in that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Um, and, and so when I look at the world, no matter what's happening, if it's wars, if it's trauma in my own family, if it's frustration, hunger, hurt, racism, uh, viruses, if, as I look at the things going on in the world, I look at it through the lens of there is a God and he's good and he has a plan and he's going to fix this or, or he, he is with us in our suffering, those kind of things. And because I believe that, that changes the way I, I view those things. Um, it changes the level of freak out that, that I would have about anything happening in our culture right now because my hope is in Christ. My hope is not in a vaccine and, and will we get it in, in time. My hope is not in the justice system getting everything 100% correct. My hope is not in police reform being exactly right. My hope is not in elected officials and, and that they will vote the way I want them to or my hope is not in whoever gets elected as president this year. No candidate will do what I would like them to do. No candidate's going to follow Jesus perfectly. My hope, my trust is not there. It's not in government. Government's gonna do what government do. It's going to do its thing. That's not where the people of God have historically ever placed their hope. And that's not where the people of God now need to be placing their hope. And so the way I view the world is this, yes, America is its thing, but I am a citizen of a different kingdom and Jesus is king there. And if that is true, I will hold on loosely to the American kingdom. And I know that's a weird thing to say because we just did July 4th and we blew crap up and we were excited about it. But the reality is we are not citizens of that kingdom. Yes, I've got an ID card and a, you know, I've got a driver's license that says I'm here and I am here, but it's temporary. My true home, my true kingdom is with Jesus in that worldview, in that, in that whole scheme. It's, it's different than America. And so I don't put my hope in a country, a leader, a president, a, a, a mayor. I don't put my hope in anybody to get it exactly right or get it the way I want it to go. And that's why this stuff matters. Because if you but, and, that, and that's me coming from a place of someone who believes in God. If you don't believe in God, then you may hope in those things. You may hope government gets it right. You may hope justice systems get it exactly right. You may hope for vaccine and all those things. This isn't to say we don't work towards justice. This isn't to say we don't work towards a vaccine. It's just to say our ultimate hope is not there. If you don't believe in God, then really you could go for anything at this point and, and grab onto it and see what works. G.K. Chesterton said it this way, when men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. And this is the truth. Now I wanna to talk to Christians particularly here. If you're not a Christian and you're, you're watching what we're doing today and you're following along. I'm, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're, you're tracking with us. Um, I, but but I, I, want, I want to tell you this this morning because I think this is the most important thing I could tell you. 
If you're, if you're watching with us today because a friend of yours is part of this church and they invited you to watch this, um, this is what I want you to hear. Now, I'm going to aim this at Christians, and so this is your chance to get a sort of insider view about like, what Christians think. Um, but, but, I, but this is important stuff. This is maybe the most important message I could give you. Um, Christians, if you don't live out this truth that we are citizens of a different kingdom, if we don't live out the truth of the gospel, we will get sucked in by absolutely everything else that's coming down the pipe. And a lot of things are coming, and I'm seeing it all over the place. We will get sucked into every other worldview that's being offered right now. And over the last few months, every other worldview has been on display and has been offered to people through social media, through the news, through your friends. We, we, we need to get clear about what we believe and why and what story we're actually living in. We need to get very, and I want to get very explicit with you about the gospel and what we're talking about here because we are people under pressure right now and when you're under pressure, it's going to bring who you truly are to the surface. And I believe the hope of the gospel is still desperately needed in our day. Because the gospel actually speaks to issues of life and death and racism and anxiety and it challenges our politics and it speaks a prophetic word into the broken systems that we're living in and that is very much needed today. It is powerful. It always has been and it still is powerful today. So let's look at a letter that Paul wrote while he was in lockdown uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, you see at the end of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is in house arrest for two years where he can't leave the house, as you would think, but um, uh, people were able to come visit him, so he's teaching people in his home. Um, I don't know if he was socially distant at the time, I don't think so, uh, but he was doing this thing and teaching people, and he wrote these four letters, and if you read Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or Philemon, what you will notice about Paul is that he is not bitter. He's, he's imprisoned, but he's good. And he's, and he's not bitter because of the gospel. He's actually, these letters, if you read them, he is overflowing with joy. Maybe the reason Paul is overflowing with joy is he did not have social media to drag him down. I don't know. But I want to read it to you. Listen to what he says. We're just going to do Ephesians chapter 2. Just, just do a couple verses today. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Listen to what it says. He, and this is going to be bleak. I'm just warning you. This is where he starts. And you were, talking to followers of Jesus, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's talking to us and saying, here's, here's how it was. Originally, you were dead, is the word that he used, dead. Now, what does death look like? Well, it looks like not a lot of activity, right? It's, it's empty. It's, there's nothing going on anymore. There, there, there's no you there anymore when you're dead. You know, people talk about, oh, you know, I want them to play this song at my funeral or, you know, maybe at my funeral, maybe some people could say these words. I'm not going to be there at my funeral. You can say whatever you want, play whatever song you want. I prefer not country, but whatever else you want to play because uh, I'm not going to be there. Um, that's the way dead is. You, you have left the space. You are, you are gone. And this is the way... Paul describes who we were in Christ uh, before, uh, who we were before we came to Christ. He says we were, we were dead. Um, and, and listen, what's the cure for deadness? Uh, when you're dead 
And if you're walking around as dead outside of Christ, you have no relationship with God and you're walking around as the walking dead, what is the cure for that? Well, it's not um, empowerment. It's not you need to live your best life. It's not uh, self-help. It's not uh, you just need unconditional positive regard and to deal with your shame and those sorts of things uh, that we all sort of trot out in psychology and self-help in our culture. Uh, That's not the cure for deadness. And it's not resuscitation. You can't be resuscitated when you're dead. The cure for deadness is resurrection. You need to actually come back from the dead. That's the only hope that you have there. We'll get to that in a minute. So first of all, Paul says, this is who you were. And the reason I'm laying this out is this is the gospel story that we're living in. Okay, so number one, he says we were dead. Number two, look at verse two again. It says this, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the son's of disobedience. So not only were you dead, Paul says, uh, you and I were disobedient. We're disobedient. Now, there's a, there's a way uh, he describes this. He said, we were following the prince of the power of the air, which is a weird phrase. A lot of scholars will basically say, yeah, we were following Satan is what we were doing um, in, our, in our life before Christ. We were uh, following the passions of the culture. We were just kind of going along with the flow. Um, and Satan's role in, in culture now is to lie and to distort and to distract. That's what he does. And in doing so, he gets people to be disobedient to God. The lying, the distortion, the distraction. And I don't know about you, but one thing I've seen under, under COVID is there's plenty of lying, distorting, and distraction uh, coming from all sides. And we are on like information overload. How much death is there out there right now? And, and, and how can you even keep track of it and follow it? How much uh, hatred is going on? How much division are we seeing in culture and in between people and in families? Um, I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving with extended family looks rougher this year than in, years, than, in, than in previous years, right? You're just like, man, this is getting really weird. And, and, and there's some brokenness in the system uh, of our culture. And you can say, well, our culture is broken due to lack of education or people aren't trusting science enough or there's some unjust systems that are at play that we need to dismantle or whatever theory you want to throw out there right now. But it's not just a little bit unjust. It's broken. It's a mess. It's actually evil. And it's evil because you and I and everyone else, we have chosen to be disobedient to God. We've heard what God says for the world, and we've been like, nah, nah, I'm not into it. We've heard that God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we're like, nah, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm just going to throw a brick through their window and burn their store down. We've heard that God says, hey, here's what sex is for. Sex is designed for a man and a woman to experience this, to build their relationship in marriage. And we have, as a a society, for a pretty long time, basically said, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in doing it 
that way. Instead, we've brought about unwanted pregnancies. We've brought about an infanticide in our culture in the form of abortion. We've brought about uh, sex outside of marriage, which leads to psychological pain because it's outside of commitment. We've brought about an epidemic of fatherless homes. We've brought about prostitution and pornography that are ripping families apart. We've brought about sexual diseases, abuse, and everything that led to the Me Too movement, all because God says, do it this way. And in our disobedience, we sort of go, nah, I'd rather do it my own way. I'd rather not do what God is saying at all. It's not just systems that are broken. It's people, you and I, that are broken. It's not just people in power oppressing people outside of power. It's all messed up because we are disobedient, because we've looked at what God has written down for us in nature, in, in, in his writings, and we've basically said, I'm just not interested. And, and Paul's very clear about this. None of this sounds like good news, by the way. The gospel is good news, and we're getting there. But I, I, to get there, you have to understand how bleak this is. We are dead, and we are disobedient. We know what God expects us to do, and we disobey. Look at verse 3, as if it couldn't get worse. But wait, there's more. Among whom we all once lived. All of us did this, okay? We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So not only were we dead and disobedient, this basically says we were doomed. We were doomed. We were by nature children of wrath, it says. Now listen, this is really tough for us to hear because we're Americans, or most of us are probably listening. And so uh, the idea that there's this cosmic thing that God has wrath that we are doomed, that there's a whole broken thing and God is gonna rain down the pain and the, and the frustration and the anger and his wrath upon us. Um, that's very tough for us to hear because we're Americans and we're nice and we wanna be nice and we wanna be kind and we just go, that's not a nice way for anybody to be. Why is God like that? And, and this whole idea of God raining down wrath on mankind sounds like a Greek God, right? It sounds like thunderbolts and lightning and bringing the heat on people. And you read this and you go, I know Paul was in lockdown, but was he serious about this? Was, was he okay? Did he have, not have enough air? Was he, was he doing well when he wrote this? Because this seems really uh, frustrated and angry. But here's what we need to understand. God has wrath, and that is a good thing. God has wrath, and it is a good thing. You want him to have wrath. And here's why, because God is angry towards sin and we should appreciate that because he's dealing with the brokenness of humanity. Whatever slice we get of, oh, ain't it awful in the world and I can't believe those people did this and I can't believe this happening. I can't believe this person did this thing to my sister-in-law and all this stuff, like all of that stuff that we pile up, God sees it all for all people and he sees how dark we can be. And he can see the heart. He sees what we do. And, and God deals with it. And, and actually, I think that's a great thing. Because if God sees all that evil and does nothing about it, what kind of God is that? What kind of God is it that won't punish at all? What kind of parents won't even ever punish their child? You have to punish children you have to be, you know, wicked about it or whatever. But, but if they do something wrong, you have to correct the behavior. You're not a great parent because you never punish them. 
That's not how it works. And, and on, a, on a larger scale, God looks down at humanity and goes, man, there's some problems. This first shows up in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible. You may have heard this story, but God wipes the world away with a global flood. Let's be very straight up about that. That is not a pretty story to tell. I know we, uh, in churches, we paint nurseries with Noah and the ark, and we paint rainbows, and there's like giraffe coming out of a little brown boat, and then you've got Noah, and, then, and it's like really cute, and it's beautiful, and we paint that for children's nurseries. Um, God washing the world away and wiping out humanity is the story we put up on the wall in the kid's nursery. Good thing they're not old enough to understand it. Um, why do we do that? Actually, I don't know why we do that. But what I can say is you've got to understand that story of what's going on there because, we could, because as you read that as an adult, it's not cute. It's not rainbows and arcs and, and animals going two by two and we sing cute little songs about it. You read it like Richard Dawkins has done, the famous atheist, and you conclude that God is a murderous tyrant and, and a genocidal one. And you go, who is this God that wipes out the world? This is awful. But look what God saw when he looked at the world. Genesis 6, right before the flood, records this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He must have been reading my social media feed. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. How, how bad was that? Lord looks down at humanity and says, every intention of their heart is evil all the time. I would argue that 2020, as weird as it has been, and all the things you're hearing, and the hatred, and the division, and the disunity, and the frustration, uh, all of that put together is not nearly as bad as what God was looking at back then. I, as, as frustrated as people can be, uh, I can't say I, I look at the world and I go, every inclination of everybody's heart is evil all the time. But if I did, and I was God, and I looked down at the earth, and I said, they're all evil all the time, what would you do about that? Are you going to hold a bake sale? Are you going to hand out some stickers? Are you going to just, hey, let's all come together and sing? God's conclusion was, I'm going to wipe them out and start over. And he starts over with a righteous family with this guy, Noah. Um, and it's easy for me, thousands of years later, totally removed, not all powerful and all knowing. It's easy for me to be like, I don't know if that was the right call. I might have done something different. Yeah, and you might have too. But we're not God, and we can't carry that kind of weight. And this is what God chose to do, is he deals, with, uh, the, he deals with people who are disobedient. He deals with the evil that's in the, in the world. And I'm glad that he does. But if I say I'm glad that he does, that means some of it's coming for me too. And that makes me uh, pretty uncomfortable. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3... Paul lays out a very bleak picture of who we are. We are, we are dead in our sins. We are disobedient, all of us. We, this is how we were, and we are doomed. That's the bad news, but everything hinges on what he says next. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, listen to verse 4, um, the, 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 very, the very next piece of, of what he says. He says it this way. 
but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Things are dark, things are bleak, it's very bad, we are disobedient, we are doomed, we are dead. But God, those two words in Ephesians 2, but God, he has intervened. He has changed the story. He flips the script. He does that. He steps into the world and goes, I'm going to do something about this, and I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to make you alive because Jesus dies on the cross for your sin. This is what Jesus can do. He can unshame your shame. He can bring you hope. He can lift you up. This is the good news. There's no amount of positive self-talk and self-love and, and reading all the books that tell you how wonderful and special you are. There's no amount of that stuff you can do for yourself that's going to fix what is broken with you. But God can, and he does and he lifts us up, and he heals us, and he makes the crooked line straight, and he's preparing a place for us. Tover talked about last week with heaven. He's preparing a place for us where there is no more tears and no more sorrow and no more social media. I'm almost sure of it. Um, this is what God is doing for us. He's changing things. We are broken, but God has breathed new life into us, and that's the good news. That's the story we live. It's an honest story. I have messed up. I, me, you, all of us, everyone around you, we have blown it and we can't make it right. But God can and he does. This is the kingdom we live in. This is the story we're living in. Consider this, Paul wrote this letter from jail. Look, if you're following Jesus and you're preaching Jesus, and you're starting churches. Like, nobody started more churches than Paul. The guy's doing God's work, and it ends up with him going to jail. Wouldn't you sort of be like, God, this isn't working out so well for me. Like, this isn't great. Could you have done something different? Um, you might actually doubt in that moment of being in jail. You might doubt God's goodness in your life. And that's not so different than what people are doing now. We, we experience the coronavirus and we doubt God's goodness in the world because 130,000 plus just in the U.S. have died. We, uh, we, we get sick and we doubt God's goodness in the world. We lose our job or our industry gets trashed and we doubt God's goodness in the world. A friend that we were close to then unfriends you and we doubt God's goodness in the world. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians and the other letters we're going to look at, you are not forgotten. God sees you. And so... I know I'm a little fired up, um, and you may sort of be like, um, Chris, why is Chris freaking out so much? Uh, it's, it's kind of intense. Like, um, maybe lockdown has not been so good for him, and uh, here's what I think it is. I think having the downtime brings some clarity. Um, I think there's, there is an advantage to cutting out some of the noise. There's more downtime when I'm not carting my children to every sports game imaginable. When I'm not, uh, when, when things are slower paced, there's some time to think and reflect. And in that clarity, what I'm seeing and what I, I want to remind the people of God is this. Jesus is the hope of the world. 
that always has been true, and it's still true today. And he's not just the hope of the world. He's my hope, too. It's my light. It's my story as well. My dad was not a good person uh, by any measure, and, and, and I didn't want to grow up to become just like that. And it wasn't until I got involved with the church and, and really got impacted by the gospel and the people who were living it out faithfully in my little home church that things turned for me. And I started coming to the church, came to Christ. My mother started coming to church with me. My brother started coming as well. And it changed the trajectory of my life so that I didn't become like who my father was. Uh, that is the hope uh, of the gospel. He sets up a different kingdom in the world and in our hearts. And God is setting up a different kingdom even now during COVID, during the protests, during the election season. We are the citizens of a different kingdom. I want to leave you with this from Beth Moore. Uh, maybe some of you know who she is. She's a very influential Christian writer and thinker. I follow her on Twitter, and I think she's one of the best. Um, and... Um, Maybe she was at a breaking point or something, but she wrote this about two weeks ago, and I thought, this is fantastic. I just want to read it to you. This is from Beth Moore. She says this, and she's very Southern, so there's y'alls in here. Um, she says, I'm going to tell y'all something. You better have a plan. If you think you're going to make it through this cultural climate unscathed, you're crazy. Leave your mind unprotected, it'll be a mud hole. Your heart hate-infested, you'll be mad constantly, foul-mouthed, unforgiving, merciless. You'll get where you thrive on the failure and shame of others. You'll like it. You'll seek it. You won't be able to look away from it. Anxiety will eat you alive. We cannot rewrite the book. There's no new way to abundant life in a dying world. The systems are broken. They won't save us. People of Jesus must return to Jesus, to the simplicity of wholehearted devotion, to spiritual disciplines of prayer, Bible reading, fasting, and giving, to losing our lives in Christ so we can find them. The good life still comes from living the Jesus life. It's love and self-giving. It will never be anything else. There is no new gospel, but make no mistake, there's nothing this world has ever come up with to match the gospel. I've never had less confidence in people, including the person in my mirror, but I've never had more confidence in Jesus and his gospel. So that's the first lesson from lockdown. Um, you and I need to have our confidence in the gospel and in what Jesus has done for us. We are called to live into that and to live into that bigger story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for our sins. We are going to celebrate that in communion. We're going to remember your sacrifice of your body and blood as we sing together. So God, as we take those elements, uh, help us to remember, to reflect on what you have done, on how you have changed um, not only the world, but our lives personally. And God, we acknowledge you now as hope of the world. God, during this time, may we reflect on you and uh, remember the hope of the gospel that is within us that uh, is the hope needed for a lost and dying world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.